Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. It's a funny thing for a man to be running for president with all the politicians against him. Mr. President, starring Metro-Golden-Mayor's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor, these are little-known stories of the men who lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear, true human stories of Mr. President. Before we bring you Edward Arnold as Mr. President, a word or two. Rarely before in the history of our country has the office of the presidency been of such vital importance as it is today. As you know, the Constitution is very specific about the powers and duties of the president, making him somewhat subject to the will of the Congress in domestic matters, but almost entirely on his own in our dealings with other nations. Our foreign relations are vital to every one of us, and the president is our personal representative in such matters. Into this important picture enter the Mr. President's stories, telling in warm human terms of the adventures, the troubles, and the joys of the men who have been holding the highest office in the nation. You, our listeners, have the added thrill of testing your historical knowledge when you try to identify the president of each story. Test your knowledge now by listening to Mr. President. And now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. story starts when the president was elected but not yet inaugurated. Listen closely and see if you know which president this happened to. It was late in the afternoon and the president had had a hard day. And it seemed as though it was never going to end. Now then, Mr. President, if you will consider the merits of this man for Parkersburg, he has a shining record of service to his party. How about service to his country? <laughs> You're not going to catch me, Mr. President. The man who serves his party well serves his country best. Now then, suppose we consider the record of this man. He did a lot of work for us in the election. You do owe men like that something, Mr. President. I think it's a matter of record, Mr. Lamb, that all the politicians were against me in the last election. I don't feel that I owe them anything. Well, now, somebody elected you, Mr. President. Oh, yes, indeed, somebody did. The people elected me. The people? Yes, you've heard of the people, haven't you, Mr. Lamb? Which people? The American people. Uh, Mr. Lamb, I think the president's a little tired. I'll say I'm tired. I'm tired of the attitude of politicians like you who start saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. Before a man's even in office. I'll, uh, I'll come back tomorrow. Good night, sir. Good night, Bissell. See you tomorrow. Good night. <sighs> you, um, don't want to look over any of this mail before you go home, do you? Well, if I don't, I won't even be able to see my desk tomorrow. Oh. Better close the windows. There's a storm on the way. It's going to snow. Huh? How do you know? Papers say so? No, my corn says so. Oh. I see. <laughs> oh, listen to this letter, will you? I was injured while celebrating your election. I will appreciate it if you will send me $1,000 as compensation. 
Because you, if you hadn't been elected, I wouldn't have been celebrating, and if I hadn't been celebrating, I wouldn't have had any whiskey, and if I hadn't had any whiskey, I wouldn't have been hurt. Ah. Below is the address where you can send the money. <laughs> well, that's a nice kind of logic, isn't it? Yes, it's a big responsibility being president. A man suddenly has a hundred million children. Yes, you're the head of a mighty big family, Mr. President. Well, maybe I had better let the mail go until tomorrow. I'm going home. I'll see you at the meeting tonight. As baby. Oh, you never saw anything like her in your life. She talk yet? Can she talk? She's over a year old. <laughs> she can recite the Constitution from beginning to end. <laughs> I bet she can. Here, let me help you with the coat. Uh, and another thing. She isn't always trying to get a job for somebody. Yeah, I kept it on ice for you. <laughs> you know, that storm outside is a humdinger all right. Uh -huh. Come on in in front of the fire. Yeah, that feels better. I baked a pie for dinner. What kind? Lemon meringue. Oh, the same kind you baked the night you got me? Uh, I got you. Yes. Now, see here, my good fellow, you got me. Oh, nonsense, nonsense. You set your cap for me the first time you saw me. And to your everlasting credit, you got me. <laughs> You're right. And you know what it was that made me fall in love with you, Mr. President? Why, of course. I was handsome. I was brilliant. I was charming. No. It wasn't any of those things. It was your modesty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so peaceful here. Ah, I, I think here at home with you and Ruth is the only place I'm safe from the office seekers right now. Oh, that reminds me. Speaking of Ruth, a letter came for her today. A letter for Ruth? My daughter? Mm -hmm. Here it is. She asked me to give it to you to read. Oh, let me see it. Let me see it. Ah, my dear Ruth, I belong to the Mugwumps. And one of the most sacred rules of our order prevents us from asking favors of officials or recommending men to office. But there is no harm in writing a friendly letter to you. Oh, for heaven's sake, this is, this is really going too far. Even a one-year-old child isn't safe. Go on, finish. Hmm? A friendly letter to you and telling you that an infernal outrage is about to be committed by your father in turning out of office the best consul I know, Captain Mason, Consul General of Frankfurt just because he is a member of the party last in office, and now a member of your father's party wants his place. Huh. Oh, well, I'll send this through the regular channels tomorrow morning. Now, skip to the end. Uh, I can't send any message to the president, but the next time you have a talk with him concerning such matters, I wish you would tell him about Captain Mason and what I think of a government that so treats its efficient officials. Signed... Signed, Mark Twain. <laughs> it's a nice letter, isn't it? Yes, hand me that pencil and pad, will you, my dear? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to write an answer for Ruth saying that she took the liberty of reading Mr. Twain's letter to the president and that he desires her to thank Mr. Twain for his information and to say to him that Captain Mason will be will not be disturbed in the Frankfurt Consulate. Good. You like that, huh? 
I like it. But the members of your party won't. Oh, well, you have to make an exception once in a while to keep a good man in office. Even if he is one the other thought was good, too. Uh, come on, let's, let's have that stew at 8 o'clock, huh? Then soon, because Daniel has to go into the lion's den tonight. Now, see here, Mr. President, you have a responsibility to your party, whether you like it or not. I also have a responsibility to the people, Congressman Jones. There are plenty of members of your own party fully qualified to hold that office in Frankfurt. I'm not going to take a good man off a job. Maybe you should have been run for office by the other party. You want them to hold all the jobs. I want the best man for the job. I don't care what his party is. Well, it's time you started caring. Now, see here, I'm the president of the United States. Yes, and you're representing a political party, a fact you find remarkably easy to forget. You seem to forget I'm also representing a country. Gentlemen, gentlemen. I'm sorry, Jones. I lost my head. I'm sorry, too, sir. Uh, may I say a word, Mr. President? Yes, of course, Wilson. Go ahead. Uh, Mr. President... The party system has its drawbacks as well as its merits. Now, precedents have been set. We're expected to follow them. We don't give out the usual political jobs. We weaken the structure of our own party. Now, we can't leave members of the opposition in any key positions. We'd look like fools. And besides, we've made certain promises and we have to keep them. All right, all right, I give up. Make your appointments. I'll keep out of the political appointments as much as possible. But that man stays in Frankfurt. But the man in Frankfurt is a member of the opposition. He's a good man and he stays. All right, Mr. President. I'm sure that everyone will be agreeable to him staying as long as they know this will be the last appointment of this nature. I really can't understand or imagine why anyone ever wants to be a president. You can't do anything. Mr. President, do we have your word that you will keep all future appointments within? Yes, 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 yes. I'll keep all future appointments within the party. And now, if it's all right with the party, I think I'll go home and go to bed. Hello there, Mr. President. Well, who's that? John Wise. Oh, oh, you. How are you, John? I couldn't see you very well through the storm. Well, I thought that perhaps you weren't speaking to members of the opposition party. Oh, now, don't you start on me. I've had a very hard day. <laughs> well, it never occurred to me that you'd still be riding the elevator. Why? Does your party own it? <laughs> no. No, nothing like that. You've been hunting lately? I have two fine new dogs. No, I haven't done any hunting. Everybody's been hunting me. <laughs> Well, here we are. Lots of seats this late. Oh, thank heaven. Our Francis and the baby? Oh, they're fine. I hope their old man holds out. Oh, what's the matter? Oh, nothing but politics, politics. Say, I've been hoping for a chance to talk to you privately. I uh, wanted to speak to you about a man. Not a man and a job. Well, it amounts to that, yes. Oh, not you too, John. Well, this is a most unusual case, or I wouldn't consider presuming on our friendship. It concerns the postmaster of Walkerton, Virginia. I got him his appointment. I'm sorry, John, but a matter like that is out of my hands. I promise tonight to keep all future appointments within the party. This man is a deaf mute, Mr. President. A deaf mute? Yeah. And a job like he has now is one of the few jobs in the world that he can perform and perform well. When he got the appointment, it... Well, it opened a whole new world to him. It, it gave him something to be interested in, 
something to live for. I see. He is a member of your party, of course. Well, not a very active one. Well, what's his name? J. Marshall Turner. Uh, Turner of Walkington, Virginia. That's right. I see. John, uh, Wilson Bissell is going to be the postmaster general. You talk to him about this right after the inauguration. If he won't help you, come to me and I'll see what I can do. In fact, I'll see what I can do anyhow. See, now, where was I? Oh, yes, 10, 11, 12. Uh, those are all the bags, I think. Oh, here's another two. Uh, where's your inauguration address? In my coat pocket. Uh, the men came for the trunks. Uh, the baby's things are in that bag. Uh, Francis, you and Maxwell get along pretty well, don't you? Oh, of course, dear. Why? Well, uh, Maxwell is handling a lot of the detailed work in the post office department for Bissell. I want to put a bee in his bonnet, but because of the nature of it, I can't do it personally. Now, what are you up to? Well, there's a postmaster in Walkerton, Virginia. How nice. Yes. He's a, he's a member of the other party. I knew you were up to something. Now, uh, I am, of course, confident that if the members of my party knew this man's story, they would insist that he be kept in office. But just to be on the safe side, I'd feel better if his papers were lost for the time being. You want his papers lost? Uh, well, misplaced. Uh, I don't want the matter to come to anyone's attention for a while. You know, sometimes I think you're seeing a little too much of those boys down at headquarters. <laughs> I am, aren't I? <laughs> Well, uh, will you put the bee in Maxwell's bonnet? Uh, he's to hunt for the papers of the postmaster of Walkerton, Virginia. Right. He's to find them, and then he's to lose them. That's the idea. And why are you taking such an interest in the postmaster from Walkerton? Well, I've always liked the Bible story about the sparrow's fall, my dear. The sparrow's fall? Yes. The postmaster is deaf and dumb. Oh. And he, above all people, should be protected by the President of the United States. I'm going to keep him in office by fair means or foul. By hook or by... Hook. Yes, by golly, by hook or by any crook I have to use. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Have you heard of the Red Cross's $60 million bargain? Perhaps $60 million doesn't appear to be a bargain, but it is when you realize what the Red Cross does with this money. The sum it will need in 49 for its tremendous day-to-day -day job. For example, when disaster strikes, the Red Cross goes into action at once to aid victims. And after the emergency is over, the Red Cross continues with rehabilitation work. Then there's the new Red Cross National Blood Program, with the aim of helping to save lives and prevent needless suffering. All blood and blood products are furnished without charge. Veterans can remember the Red Cross's services to the armed forces. This work still goes on. For all this, the Red Cross needs $60 million, a bargain in any language. So, give to the Red Cross. You can help through your Red Cross. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Have you guessed who the president was who was having such trouble with the office seekers? 
Listen closely, and we'll continue the story in Washington. Once he was in office, the days were even busier. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please. I tell you, I've got to see the president right away. My time is valuable. I can't wait here all day. The president is in conference. Uh, why don't you come back tomorrow? Madam, I swung 17 precincts to the president. I think I'm entitled to a little more consideration than I'm getting. You think you'll be much longer, Francis? I have the entire list of postmaster appointments for him to look over. I hope not, Billy, but I don't know how he's going to manage with all he has to do today. He can't see everyone. This is supposed to be his afternoon for appointments. Mine was for 3 o'clock. It's already 3.30. Would you just give him this list of appointments, Francis, and I'll get in touch with him later. I'd be glad to, Billy. I'll drop by the seat. Hello, Francis. John. How nice to see you. Well, I uh, feel a little like a fish in the wrong fishbowl, but I must see the president. <laughs> you suppose he has a moment? Do you see all these people? Well, I knew that he'd be pretty busy, but this is a very important matter, Francis. Oh, does it concern the postmaster of Walkerton, Virginia? It does, indeed. The president tell you? Mum's the word, mate. All right, matey. <laughs> the president's in a very important conference, but I'll see if I can get to him. I'd appreciate that. Uh, wait here, John. Now, look at the advantages of this pedal, Mr. President. Darling, there's a mob waiting. They're getting very impatient. And John White... Uh, in a moment, Francis, in a moment. Uh, this is important. Uh, you were saying about the pedal. Well, you can press this pedal and it becomes a brake. Uh-huh. Now, no matter how hard you push against the carriage, you can't move it. Oh, say, that's pretty good. This is the most advanced baby carriage on the market, Mr. President. Well, uh, do you like it, Francis? Uh, yes, I, I think it's very nice, but uh, all those people out there, dear, and John... Why... My wife has one of these carriages for our youngster, and she wouldn't be without it. Oh? How old is your child? A year. Mm. Girl? Oh, yes, indeed. The prettiest little lady in the world. Is that so? She has curls down to here. Oh, really? Well, mine has curls down to here. Down to her feet. Down to her feet. At a year old? Well, she had it when she was six months old. How tall is your child? Two feet. How tall is yours? Two feet. Two inches. Well, mine may be that tall by now. I haven't seen her since this morning. What does your child weigh? Twenty-five pounds. Oh, mine weighs thirty pounds. A little overweight, isn't she? The doctor says she's perfect for her age. Oh, that's funny. So does mine. You suppose you have a good man? The best. Does she cry much? Oh, never. She never cries. <clears throat> that your kid? Uh, of course not. That must be some baby visiting in the White House. Darling, I really hate to interrupt this important discussion, but there are so many people waiting. All right, Francis, all right. I'll take the carriage. My secretary will give you a check as you go out. Oh, thank you, Mr. President. Good day, sir, uh, Madam President. Uh, goodbye. Nice to see you. Oh, uh, Mr. President. Yes? Do you use the rectangular fold or the triangle? Well, I like the old-fashioned way myself. That's what we use on ours, too. So your baby's right in style, Mr. President. Uh, goodbye, sir. Goodbye, goodbye. You know, I don't know why some fathers are so unpleasant about their children. You would think no one ever had a baby but that man. Yes, Mr. Preston. Mm. Do you think I should go to see if that was Ruth crying? Oh, that's Ruth, all right. Oh. But the nurse is with her, dear. Shall I send Mr. Wise in? Hmm? Oh, is, is John Wise here? Why, you, why, why didn't you say so, my dear? Never mind. It's too long a story. I'll send him in. Uh, can I be 
John, come on in. I'm sorry to take up your time, Mr. President. I know how busy you are. How's the baby? Well, I'm not like most fathers go around bragging about their children, but she really is an exceptional child. Ah, I'm sure she is. <laughs> what brings you to Washington today, John? Well, I received this paper from Richmond yesterday. It's um, self-explanatory. Here, look at the headline. Hmm. Bounced at last, wisest man must go. Congressman Jones triumphs after a hard fight. What's this all about, John? Well, that's about our friend, the postmaster at Walkerton. He's out of office? Mm-hmm. I see. I thought his papers were lost. Well, if they were, they've been found again. I'd hope this matter might not come up for a while. Did you see Bissell about it? Yes, I did. What did he say? Well, he said he was familiar with the case, but that Congressman Jones insisted on putting a party man in the office, and there was nothing that he could do. I see. Have you signed the uh, commission for the new postmaster? No, no. Well, then there's still time. John, let me think this matter over, will you? You see, there's been so much ill feeling over the appointments I have already made outside the party that I'm quite, well, on a spot. I can't ignore my party completely, and I did give my word. Oh, I appreciate your position, Mr. President. Uh, come over in the morning about ten, John. Thank you, Mr. President. Goodbye. Goodbye. I hope that we can have one of our hunting trips soon. Yes, so do I. Goodbye, Francis. See you tomorrow. Goodbye, John. Hmm, nice. Ah, something smells good. What's that I smell? Uh, you know very well what you smell. You smell corned beef and cabbage. Oh, well, that's fine. <laughs> Just what I want for dinner tonight. Oh, but that isn't your dinner. That isn't my dinner? No. You know what the doctor said about your gout. What am I having? Cream chicken. Oh, well, who's having the corned beef and cabbage? Your servants. Well, you give the servants my dinner and give me their dinner. But your gout, dear, you... Oh, nonsense. The gout is just a state of mind. I'm not going to have gout. I'm going to have corned beef and cabbage. You'll be laid up again in the morning. Oh, no, I won't. You'll see. I, I won't have a sign of gout in the morning. Oh, but my foot hurts so. Well, you would eat corned beef and cabbage. Why should corned beef and cabbage go to my foot? I'm sure I don't know. Francis, must you stamp around the room like that? Why, dear, I was moving very quiet. Every time you move, it goes right through my foot. Oh! It did not quietly. Oh, John, come on. Uh, but you'd better tiptoe. Oh, hello, John. I've come down with a bad case of corned beef and cabbage. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Mr. President. Oh, heavens, why don't I not quietly? I'll get it, dear. Oh, not a moment's peace this morning. Is the president in? Oh, there you are, Mr. President. Oh, it's you, Billy. You know John Wise, don't you? Yes, I know John Wise. Now, Mr. I... President, you promised us you would not interfere any further. Billy, 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 would you mind not shouting in the direction of my foot like that? It's throbbing so... You're I... making fools out of your entire party. It's impossible to work with you if you're going to keep doing things like this. Like what? Like interfering with appointments. Now, we have a good party man in Walkerton, and he's been promised the job of postmaster, and he's got to have it. Oh, what's your objection to the man who's in? He's a member of the other party, and he's a menace to ours. Oh, now, wait a minute. A postmaster in the small town... This postmaster is a bad influence. He's a member of the opposition party, and he's an offensive partisan. He's continually talking against us. He's what? What did you say, Billy? I said he's continually talking against our party. He uses the post office as a headquarters. 
Well, that's what I thought you said. We can't have men in office who are trying to undermine our influence. Why, in the position of postmaster, he can talk to everyone in town. Uh-huh. Uh, Billy, have you ever met this man? Well, I... Have you ever met him? Well, I can't say that I've actually met him. Where did you get your information? From our man in Walkerton. But you never actually saw the present postmaster yourself. Well, no, but there are lots of postmasters in the United States that I haven't actually seen. Billy, this man is deaf and dumb. Is what? He's a deaf mute. Well, well, that's impossible. Well, it's true, Billy. That's why we gave him the position. And believe me, that's the only reason I've been trying to keep the position for him. Well, that's uh, that's uh, a very strange yes, thing. Billy, there are 2,000 post offices in Virginia. You may have 1,999 of them, but I want this one. Mr. President, I don't blame you. I'm glad I came here today, sir. I'm glad of this... Reminder of the dividing line where politics end and humanity takes over. <laughs> well, Billy, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I'm glad to know that beneath those politics there beats a heart that isn't completely stone. Oh, politicians have hearts, Mr. President. Oh, yes. But we can't wear them on our sleeves like the uh, chief executive can. <clears throat> Well, I see what you mean. <laughs> well, where is the port? Shall we uh, drink a toast to the postmaster of Walkerton, Mr. President? Port? Port with that foot? John, he can't. Oh, oh, Francis, I forgot you were here. Well, gentlemen, you drink your toast in port to the president, to the postmaster, and the president of the United States will join you in a glass of water. Ah, my foot feels much better already. I'm happy today. Happy about the postmaster... Happy to be president. And happy to have a wonderful wife and the most perfect child that was ever born to a completely unprejudiced father. Well, you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know. And you'll have the answer in just a moment. What's new in Filmland? Well, for one thing, this year's Academy Award winners have been chosen. The highly prized Oscars have been distributed to Sir Lawrence Olivier, Jane Wyman, Walter Houston, and other outstanding screen players. And here's some great news. The Luella Parsons Show on most of these ABC stations this Sunday night will feature Academy Award winners as guest stars. If you thrill to Olivier's great performance as the melancholy Dane in Hamlet and to Jane Wyman's thrilling portrayal of the deaf mute in Johnny Belinda, then we're certain you'll want to be listening tonight to meet Olivier and other great Academy Award winners on the Luella Parsons Show. And now, here again is Edward Arnold. Good morning, Mr. President. Out walking your baby, I see. Yes, I see you're out with yours, too. How do you like the carriage? Oh, it couldn't be better. My, uh, uh, you know my baby's cutting her fifth tooth? Only her fifth? What tooth is yours on? Her sixth. Oh, well, you don't want them to be too toothy, you know. Uh, tell me, uh, what's your baby's name? Glorietta. Glorietta Mayflow Smith. Oh, depressing, isn't it? But my wife liked it. What's yours name? Uh, Ruth. Well, let's introduce him. After all, someday Glorietta Mayflow will want to tell her friends that 
When she was a year old, she met the daughter of the President of the United States, Miss Ruth Cleveland. Yes, it was Grover Cleveland who had such trouble with the office seekers and who intervened to save the job of the deaf-mute postmaster in Walkerton, Virginia, and who liked to exchange dinners with the servants when the servants had corned beef and cabbage. Be with us again next week for another exciting story that happened in Washington to Mr. President. Goodbye. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Golden-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture Little Women, starring June Allison, Peter Lawford, Margaret O'Brien, and Elizabeth Taylor. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Leonard Reed. This story by Gene Holloway was based on incidents in the life of President Grover Cleveland. Music was composed by Basil Adlam. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.